I would like to introduce Ms. Caroline Park. Thank you, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Now it's still morning because we started 15 minutes early. Um, how is September going? It's, for me, September is always surprisingly busy. It feels like the whole calendar is open when it starts, and then all of a sudden it's all filled. I have three kids who just gone back to school, which is yay, but then they're more work too. And then I know some people who've started a new job this fall or who've gone back to school themselves. It's kind of like the whole city was chillaxing during the summer and then Labor Day and it just snaps back to this rushed pace. And it's easy to feel squeezed a little bit for a lot of people, especially in places like New York where um, money and time and space and energy is premium. And I have been feeling that way. Um, Many of you know my husband's, uh, husband Charles's back problem. You're probably tired of hearing about it. The last three months or so have been particularly challenging um, with his, um, a lot of limitation um, his, in his mobility and functions. So there's a naturally more things on my plate in terms of taking care of the kids and running the household as well as church work. So sometimes I can feel like there isn't enough space for me. So this comes up a lot in my talks with God. And whenever I talk to God about this, he says, there is always enough for you. Not only just enough, but it overflows. My love overflows for you. And that's very nice to hear but not always easy to believe. Um, but it, it did remind me of this story that we're going to read together um, today in John 2. So let me read this for us. It's going to be projected on the screen. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But, this mother, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some water and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. 
but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So before we talk about the details of the story, let's take a moment here and close your eyes, if you will, and imagine this scene in your mind. There are a lot of people, young and old, all kinds of people were invited probably. Must have been a lot of food, wine, music, dance, laughter, and then there's even more wine, best quality wine flowing at the end. What is the word that comes to your mind to describe this scene? Anyone? Sorry? Abundant. Fun. Party. <laughs> yes. There is so much joy and so much life. And yes, I would use the word abundant. I mean, let's talk about the wine here. The water jars that was used to make the wine could hold 20 to 30 gallons each. There were six of them. So there was 120 to 180 gallons of water Jesus turned into wine. 180 gallons of wine, if we say one bottle holds 750 milliliter, like the regular bottle of water, I calculated this clearly. Jesus made about 908 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine. <laughs> Especially when they already had a lot to drink. <laughs> and if that ran out, it seems like he simply would have made more. And he doesn't even ask any questions before providing all this wine. He doesn't ask if everyone was drinking responsibly. Probably not. He doesn't ask if this wedded couple are godly, worthy people for this kind of miracles. Is this a marriage between a man and a woman? He doesn't ask that. He actually, there's no mention whatsoever about this couple as if, that is of no relevance. He doesn't ask which of the guests deserves more wine and which doesn't. He makes enough wine for an army, and the wine flows freely for everyone. This picture has the echoes of his later gift to all of us, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. With his life and death, Jesus brings us the new way of connecting with God, the new way of living, which in other parts of the Bible he calls the new wine, which is the Holy Spirit. And he pours it out onto the young and the old, men and women, Jews or Gentiles of any races, worthy or unworthy. He gives it to anyone who will receive and breaks down the old wine of the law 
and the boundaries of the, the clean and the unclean and the deserving and the undeserving. When Mary asks for Jesus' help, Jesus tells her that it is not time yet. It, is, it was not time yet for the cross and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But even then, he still goes ahead and gives the people the glimpse to what's to come, the glimpse to the reality of heaven, the new reality of abundance. And makes the wine to flow at the feast. He uses the water jars that, was, that were used for Jewish ceremonial, ceremonial washing. Meaning, the water in these jars were used to wash people or things to make them acceptable to God under the Old Testament law. They had to be washed properly to have the access to God. And he changed that water to something entirely different. And the new wine replacing the old, which symbolizes the Holy Spirit the new kind of relationship with God. This God of abundance, God of indiscriminate blessing and love is the God we follow. And when we're able to truly trust and understand this deep and unlimited love of God, we're able to walk into the unknown Because we know that whatever happens with God, it will be good, all will be okay, and we'll still be with God. And this, I think, is the picture of stage four, faith. We have been in this series called called The Stages of Life, talking about the stage theory developed by M. Scott Peck, um, who was the famous psychiatrist and author. To recap briefly of the stage theory, it is a theory of a spiritual development of a person. There are four stages. Stage one is, uh, we call it criminal. It's the, you can think of toddlers. Um, uh, The They want what they want, when they want it, and they will come and take it. There's no really spirituality. That's, you know, how they come. Um, There are institutions that sometimes have these different stages of culture. And the institution that that supports this type of uh, stage one is jail. But when you love them and raise them and uh, care for them, they will come to understand um, more of the structures in their life and how that's good for them. And they enter stage two. It's more like a school-aged children when they start to really know what is right and wrong, what are the instructions, what are the rules. Um, They may not do it exactly, but they know that for other people. And that's um, uh, things are very black and white in this stage. There are more answers than questions. Um, And the... The institutions that often have this type of culture is military, because everything has to be very clear-cut. And often um, churches also have this type of culture. 
But then kids will grow older and enter into teenage years, um, and they will enter stage three, which is skeptical and rebellious. They will start to question all the rules. They will start to think for the, want to think for themselves. They will start to think um, the establishment is not always right. And the institution that really supports this type of thinking is universities. You are taught to be skeptical about everything, question everything. So large cities like New York um, also tend to have that kind of culture. But that's not all. all there's one more stage uh, that um, at the end of that is stage four, and that's mystical. And they, uh, in this stage, people begin to understand and realize that there were actually reasons for those rules. And there, is, there are principles behind these rules that are for connecting. Um, and they, they also, they start to understand these in a more open-ended way, not really the letter of the laws, but the principle and the spirit of it. The trait that really defines the stage is humility. They, they start to understand there are a lot of gray areas in, the, in life that we don't understand fully. They're more comfortable with uncertainties. Um, there are more questions than answers. When Charles a few weeks ago described stage four, he talked about the difference between following rules and following a person. And it's, uh, in stage four, you follow a person. And in our case, it's Jesus. Which makes sense why this stage is called mystical. Because when you are following a person who is infinitely bigger than you, bigger than we can ever understand, then we are embracing the unknown when we follow him, the mystery. For anyone to be on this path and truly follow a person into the unknown, we need to be able to trust this person deeply. Makes sense, right? And to trust someone deeply enough to follow him into the unknown, we need to really know this person from our heart. We need to know that he is always good to me, no matter what. This means, though interestingly, that he is always good to anyone who will ask and follow. Because if there is a question of choice or luck or worthiness, then I will never be sure that he will always be good to me no matter what. What if he is good to other people but not me? What if he is good to me sometimes but not other times when I'm not worthy? My heart needs to be able to trust that God is always good to all who asks. There is always enough for everyone. And this is the God whom we encounter in the story we just read. He is the God of abundance, the God of unearned love toward all. And we have glimpses into this kind of love from all stages in life, I think. 
We understand this. We have moments where we can't trust him. But this kind of trust in a consistent way is something that we strive to move toward, but we often forget and fail. So a few weeks ago, I took my 10-year-old boy to bowling in Chelsea Piers. It was the day before the school started, and he had been asking um, to go bowling all summer, so I took him. And um, if you guys been to uh, Chelsea Piers, this giant sports complex, right? So when you go into this building, is um, you drive in uh, through this big entrance into the parking lot. But when you're walking, you, you actually go into the same driveway, but there's like on this one side, there's a line where you can walk. You know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm walking in there with my son holding hands, and I'm on the outside, and he's in the inside. And he's telling me this, sharing with me about vending machines. He's talking to me how vending machines are awesome. <laughs> and there are two levels of sharing going on here. One was that he would really like a soda from the vending machine that we just walked by. That was the motivation behind this uh, sharing. And the other sharing, part of sharing was, he was talking about the vending machine that was next to his summer camp. And he was talking to me how he's seen so many kids and their families go by that vending machine, and you could really make a lot of money if you have a vending machine like that. So that's going on, and all the while he's talking to me, he's holding my hand, and he's pulling me inside and telling me to stay in the line so I don't get hit by a car. So I was very amused by this interaction. And you could see all three stages going right here, right? Stage one, I want a soda. I want to go bowling. Stage two, staying within the boundary so as not to get in trouble. Stage three, his observation of how the world works and how he wants to be independent and think of his own plan for the future. And all this is going when I am the one who was guiding him. I am the parent. I'm take, I am taking him bawling. It strikes me that most of the times this is what we do with God. As we follow God, holding his hand, we are really attempting to control God based on our own understanding of how the world works. We say, God, I need you to take me bowling and get me a soda. We say, God, I need you to stay in line and behave according to the rules as I understand it. You're making me nervous. Where we say, God, I have this great plan for the future, and I need you to come along with me and make it happen. Don't we do this? But when we are finally able to let go of our control and trust God, who is abundant and extravagant in his love, 
God who is so much bigger than our existence and understanding, when we can finally follow him into the unknown, our life expands beyond ourselves. We are in touch with the expansive God who will pour out his life in all its fullness into our beings. And we finally experience the abundant life. But things happen in the world that makes it difficult to believe in the expansive and abundant God. It's easier said than done. In our personal lives, hard things happen, or in the world, we see awful things. Last night, there was a bombing in Chelsea that injured many people. And thankfully, no one died. But events like this shake us up, break into our psyche, and try to pull us in. And frankly, I don't know how to understand the world that seems so dark at times with God's goodness. I really don't. Except that I know God, whom I have been interacting with, is gracious and full of love and close by. And that only way for me to keep on loving instead of being pulled into the darkness is choosing to move toward God, who is abundant and infinitely loving. And that is what Jesus has come to give to us. It is what the gift of cross is about, to break the spirit of scarcity that leads to greed and violence, and to bring about the new reality of abundance. When Jesus came and died for us, and ironically, it was brought on by our greed and violence, his death. When his body was broken, the spirit of God that was inside of him came rushing out into the world so that the whole world is touched by his spirit. The whole world is filled with God's spirit so that we are always surrounded by him. Everywhere we turn, God is there even in the midst of pain and brokenness. The spirit of God and the beauty of God is found everywhere. No one is fully there, being able to understand this. No one can be really fully stage four on this side of life. But it is a place where we can move closer to. We can desire to understand God's abundance more deeply every day. How can we do that? I have a few practical suggestions. The first is notice and challenge your zero-sum assumptions. When we feel squeezed of space in life, it is easy to slip into zero-sum mentality. And zero-sum mentality operates on the assumption that there is limited resource. So when others take up more space, 
there is less space for me. It focuses on the lack, not the abundance. It can be in a lot of different settings. It could be um, just our mentality of approaching things like when I need to, if I need to fit into a relationship, a part of me needs to be sacrificed. I am supposed to take care of my children or my elderly parents, so there just isn't time to take care of me. Or when my coworker is promoted, that means there's less opportunities for me. It is true in the normal world, the resources are limited, but God says there is enough for you, there is enough for all. Jesus has come to give us that. Like the guest at the wedding who had more wine than they needed. So what are your zero-sum assumptions? Notice them and let God into that space. Ask him, God, how can I experience your abundance in this area of my life? And see what he might have to say to you. I'll have more reflective questions on different kinds of zero-sum mentality, how it plays out in our lives, in our Daily River app uh, this week. So if you have the app on your phone, that's where you can find it under um, suggestions, practical suggestions. Um, if you don't, it's a great opportunity to download the app. My second suggestion is connect to the expansive and abundant God by pressing into the expansive moments. Just avoiding the bad is not enough nor fun. We want to fill it with light and goodness. So notice those moments when, you, when your spirit expands, when you feel that expansiveness in you. It could be when you're in nature, just taking a walk. Um, or it could be when, you, when you're moved by art, music, movies. When you're laughing and connecting with someone who is different from you. Or when you're even working out a conflict with someone. There is a way in which that our soul expands a little bit. So notice, notice these moments and press in. Follow them in and pursue more of it. My last suggestion is make peace with your previous stages. Peck says, even when we move through different stages, we still have all the previous stages inside of us. Just because somebody enters stage four doesn't mean that that person is free of needs or desires or the need for structure or their will. It's all inside of us. There are parts in us that are still in previous stages. The good news is that God accepts us wherever we are. He accepts all of us. Like he accepted everyone at the party, 
everyone probably in all different stages of life. So learn to accept all these previous stages in you. They brought you where you are now. And when we're not reconciled to it, it blocks us from moving forward. For example, those in stage two who are still haunted by the chaotic stage one experience that they experience in themselves or even in their environment growing up, it will feel too threatening to think of stage three in its disregard for rules and skepticism. Those in stage three, with its skepticism and rebelliousness, if they're not reconciled to their stage two that might seem foolish or repressive even, then they will reflexively reject the stage four's trust and belonging. But Jesus is with all of who we are. Do the work that needs to make peace with all of yourself. And one good way to do this is by hanging out with kids. <laughs> and I'm not saying just because this, that I am the kids and family pastor, and I'm always looking for volunteers. That is all true, but that's not why. The, that's not the only reason why I'm saying this. Because listen to the story that I'm going to tell you that you will know exactly why. So two weeks ago, I was um, at the church lobby, and this three-year-old boy is sitting in this kids' area. You probably saw the mat and the you know beanbags and down there. He's sitting in one of the beanbags with a plate with a, a chocolate croissant and a Z-bar. And he looks, was looking at the plate like he can't believe his luck. <laughs> so, of course, I feel like I need to tease him. So I went over to him and asked him, can I have a bite? I know it's mean, but... So he looks at me. <laughs> And then he looks at his pastry for a long time. He's looking at, and then he picks up the pastry and touches it with, touches his mouth with it. He doesn't even take a bite out of it, but he just touches it. And then he looks at me and says, I put it in my mouth. <laughs> How smart is that? But do you see the stage one and stage two battling here? And when you get to know someone like that, how can you not love that about him, where he's at? It just makes it easier to love myself that way as well. And a lot of people actually who work with kids, I think, experience that. I'm going to ask Amelia to come up and share with us. Um, Amelia has been with us for a long time. Uh, I remember Amelia was one of my first volunteers at the River Kids when I started the children's ministry 80 years ago, and she has been with us all this time. Um, sadly for me, this is her last Sunday before moving to Indonesia for a year um, to help her family transition after the recent loss of her father. I will miss her very much. So I've asked her to share about her experience with working with kids as a way of saying goodbye here. So. 
yeah, I've been working with the River Kids for some time, uh, starting off as a volunteer, a single person with no kids, and then a staff member, now married with two kids. Um, so I've gained a lot of valuable things from working with the kids, especially the preschoolers. Firstly, what I want to say, I'm a person who loves order. And I always have to have a plan for almost everything. So it's particularly very challenging for me when I come into a classroom with a set of crayons and paper and then found out that the best artwork end up being drawn on the floor or on the walls. <laughs> and, and that's okay because it, it teaches me to be more flexible and to welcome a mass and life as it comes. Um, I also learned to be more gracious. I quickly learned that I'm dealing with little humans, which means that uh, if they do not listen to me that Sunday or if they do erratic things, it's because they think they're, they're superheroes that day or firemen fighting fires and saving people. And all these challenges make me realize that even though I too have a lot of growing up to do, um, I cannot take myself too seriously. Um, working with kids give me a lot of opportunities to say, that's okay, that's okay, more often and more quickly, uh, to appreciate mistakes and to actually love imperfections and people and myself more. Well, may God be with you in your next journey, and we'll see you soon. So I am going to wrap up here. So connect with little people to help love yourself better and help connect with yourselves better. Notice the zero-sum assumptions in yourself and press into expansive moments. And may God lead us further and further into his reality of abundance. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've come to give to us. That's life itself. And thank you for uh, this world that is so abundantly filled with you and your spirit. Everywhere we turn, we can be with you. So pray for um, that faith and trust to notice these moments and follow them in. And I pray that you would give us the courage to keep pursuing um, the image of you, the abundant, infinitely loving God in all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.